my wonderful friends, and welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to BQ and uh, This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion, and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm pastor to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm also your presenter at Drive Time every Tuesday and Wednesday. And don't I love uh, being able to share with you? This is a, a wonderful opportunity. Welcome, 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 welcome aboard. Uh, now, look, guys, I'm really, uh, really excited about our uh, return to live broadcasting uh, this week. Now, of course, this week we are digging into a subject that is just so core to all Christian belief. And we're asking how reasonable is the biblical worldview? You know, the biblical worldview and the secular worldview is just so different. Uh, in Scripture, uh, we talk about so many supernatural things. We talk about miracles. We talk about uh, predictive prophecy. We talk about the resurrection from the dead. Uh, we uh, we speak uh, we speak of things like creation. You know, all to do with the supernatural. You see, the Bible has a different world view to uh, that uh, to the big wide world that we do uh, inhabit. Now, look, this week uh, we're trying to ask how reasonable is the biblical worldview. And today we want to address that question, can I trust uh, the Bible? What does archaeology say? Now, it's wonderful uh, to be able to really dig into this uh, this subject. Uh, and of course, um, uh, today uh, leading our Bible study is our regular Wednesday co-host, co-host, and that is Pastor David Butcher. And David's the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Oz. Now, welcome to you, David. How are you, Gary? It is wonderful to have you back on board again. It's been a long time since we've sat opposite each other, and I really enjoy being part of this uh, Drive Time program. I've almost lo- I've forgotten what your face actually looks like, actually, though. That, that wouldn't upset you, though, would it? <laughs> Did you get some holidays? Yeah, look, um, we're, we're looking for staff, so it's, it was an interesting time period. But, um, yeah, I had some time, my family and I, in Melbourne, where I have family. And uh, then also uh, we were blessed to be able to um, spend some time on the Gold Coast. It was good for our children, um, yeah, going through the theme parks, waiting in queues for an hour and a half uh, just to go on one ride. Goodness um, me, you are patient insane. people. Well, it certainly tests your patience, doesn't it? But no, look, we had a really good time and, um, yeah, we're a month down already, aren't we? And um, I can't believe it. I can find that it's so hard to, to to actually believe that, goodness me, a full month has disappeared uh, into February. It is, and stuff. I'm sort of counting down how many more days till holidays, but In, uh, not not really, but you start to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, just before we come to our worldwide, just one question I'd love to actually uh, put to you. you. Look, over the past couple of weeks, I've seen some actually remarkable pictures of the South Australian Church's youth camp, which of course is located at Walker flat which is in the lower Murray River. In fact the river flows right past the door of our youth camp. It's a lovely uh, lovely spot. Now I've been sent these uh, these pictures uh, with uh, the water slowly rising up the uh, up the walls of the church youth camp. In fact I believe it's almost up to window height now. Can you just tell us what is the situation at the moment? Yeah look Gary um, it's interesting you know if, um, if you have a catastrophe natural disaster 
disaster of a, of a, a rapid flood or a fire, it instantly happens and you're left with the aftermath. Yeah. The strange thing was with this was that with the floods in New South Wales and Victoria coming through the Murray-Darling system, we knew that we were going to have flood issues. The question yeah. was how high. Yeah. And uh, really, I guess it was um, beginning of January, perhaps, probably about the 5th or 6th, when the waters probably reached their peak at a place called Walker Flat, where we have a, a youth camp right on the Murray, yeah. uh, not too far from Manham. And um, basically, we were able to take anything that was undoable off-site and stored, and uh, the waters have risen, and they reached a peak probably at a guess. I saw figures yesterday, maybe four and a half metres uh, above normal river height, four mm-hmm. and a half to five mm-hmm. metres. And what that means is, because quite rightly, you say that it is right on the water. Yeah. And some of the buildings there, like a bunkhouse-style accommodation, dining hall, a big meeting room, yeah. a caretaker's residence, shower blocks, etc., and storage sheds, some of those are very low. Yeah. And so the water in some of our dormitories or bunkhouses, if you like, would have risen and they're a number of metres above normal river height, would have risen basically to almost chest height. Okay. And so I was blessed, uh, if you can call it that, I guess, in my role to visit the site yesterday. We got in a, a little uh, motor launch mm. and uh, crossed a lake because you cannot drive into the site. The roads are blocked. Um, in part, you know, roads yeah, have been yeah. destroyed. Uh, some parts are still underwater, and um, it's on like a narrow finger, if you like, of land. Yep, yep, uh, With yep. a lake on one side, the river on the other. And, yeah, look, yesterday was really eerie in a sense when we were able to climb out onto the road, which you can get on just outside our camp, but you mm. can't access it from either direction. It's covered in mud. There are parts of the bitumen that have been uplifted and almost folded like a roughly folded blanket. Yeah. Um, we get on site, and um, you're still wading through... Um, in shallow parts, knee-deep water. Yeah. In other parts, you would still be up to your chest, depending what part of the camp you're on. And so every single building, um, at minimum, even the high points probably had about eight inches of water, about a hundred and about a hundred and eighty mil. That's of at water the that's at the highest point. At its highest points, and you can see the the water marks on the wall. Yeah. There is mud in every building. Um, some of the facilities, the the timber has deteriorated. The panelling, the flooring is lifted in in the main meeting hall, uh, Gary. That you would know well. There is at least a four hundred three to four hundred mil bulge in the floor upwards like a speed hump mm. running across the room the kitchen and and uh, cleaning areas and storage rooms food storage and cold storage is just it's just trashed yeah and um yeah walked through the um the male toilets and you're walking through the toilet block there you're walking through knee deep of water wow uh, whereas the ladies toilet block which is in a higher section of land there is no water left there, but it's just mud everywhere. Mm, and mm. what was beautiful, lush green lawn is uh, it's just like a moon muddy scape, if you like. It's been fertilised. It's been fertilised, and there is still water. We, yeah, we got in a yeah. kayak to get from one part of the camp to the manager's residence. That's yeah. how deep the water is. And a week ago, you could kayak into their residence, which is on a second floor. Wow. So it is, a, um, I guess, like many people through these floods through various states, um, 
it's going to be, uh, I think, quite some time before we... So what's uh, the future for that? I mean, you say some time. I mean, is there any sort of time frame looked at? Yeah, look, we don't know yet. Um, assessors, insurance assessors aren't able to come in until um, they can gain access to the road. Yeah. Um, you will know there's a ferry that, uh, yes, yeah, the yeah, government yeah. ferry, that they're thinking may open in, in maybe uh, by late February. Right. Um, and um, I guess we get the insurance people in. Um, the water level has to drop too so we can see the full extent of the damage and yeah. um yeah very um yeah very challenging yeah, but, but i yeah. guess in many ways we're blessed you know as well i mean there are people that have lost so much through yeah. these floods yeah yeah and, and the amount of warning that we did actually have on this one has certainly been beneficial it's certainly not as though we've just simply had a storm and the whole thing has been wiped out you know most expensive equipment's been taken off site absolutely you know all that sort so of we, stuff we got six container loads i think 40 foot container loads off site but mm. the facilities themselves um in my unqualified opinion mm. a number of them probably would not be able to be restored you know yeah, and unqualified yeah, yeah i yeah, guess for yeah. me gary i know we need to move on but one of the things that struck me with this is you know we've known since november that there was going to be flooding to what level how many gigaliters a day level yeah, of flow yeah, yeah, yeah. no one knew but it's slowly crept up yeah and to the ex- and so it's almost like you have a warning of the second coming of christ yeah, yeah. we know it's going to happen we see signs but yeah. we you can then become complacent because yes, up until yeah. mid-november we had a we had a camp there for our ministers yeah. up until mid November and and even early December and mid December the waters were rising but it hadn't impacted any buildings yeah 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 and then so to come back after the waters have dropped a meter already yeah and to see the extent of the damage and the water that is still present yeah it uh, yeah it goes to remind you it's not a sudden flood it's been a slow one yeah and yeah. Jesus is coming yeah. we hear of the signs we get bored of them yeah tired of them but it's a definite thing that's going to yeah. happen. David, thank you so much for that report. Really do, do appreciate it. Now, look, we do have to come very quickly to our World Watch uh, segment. And, and this is something that I just picked up from our uh, the premier Christian news. Now, of course, this is the major Christian news site in the, uh, in the United Kingdom. Uh, and they're talking about something that's actually occurring in the UK at, uh, at this particular point in time. And the title of the article, uh, and it is on the, right now, it is on the premier Christian news uh, website. Bishops are outlining their commitment to orthodox teaching on marriage uh, in light of a, a, a major uh, synod uh, conference that they've got coming up in the uh, um, uh, in the in the very uh, in the very near future. And uh, this is what the article says: A number of evangelical and Catholic bishops in the Church of England have released a statement announcing their commitment to the biblical view of marriage, understood to be between one man and one. One woman. It follows the House of Bishops' decision to allow services of blessing and thanksgiving for couples in same-sex marriages uh, or civil partnerships as a result of the living in love and faith process. This is a long-awaited document for traditionalist Anglicans unhappy with the result of the internal debate on sexuality and gender identity. Now, this uh, this article did actually direct um, people who wish to see the document uh, to uh, to a link, so I did actually download uh, that uh, that document. And uh, one of, there were a number of things in this document. I 
personally would would struggle with a number of items that are uh, in in this document. But it does bring out, I think, David, some uh, some interesting comments that I think are worth uh, worth commenting on. And uh, the, the, these are the highlights. Um, Since the publication of the bishop's proposal for the consideration of the general synod, a range of lay and ordained people across the church have asked for some guidance in understanding why many Christians in the Church of England and the Anglican Communion, together with Christians from across churches of the world, uh, continue to believe that marriage is given by God for the union of a man and a woman and that that cannot be extended to those of the same sex. We felt, therefore, that it would be constructive to make available a relatively short uh, summary of uh, this uh, doctrine of marriage as the Church of England has received it and how it particularly uh, relates to changes in society and in same-sex partnerships. Now, the um, um, as you go into the document, uh, it uh, it starts by looking at some some history, and then it uh, it moves into some some biblical uh, um, uh, aspects. Uh, but I, I'm interested, David, particularly in uh, uh, in some of the. Uh, some of the history. Now, uh, on the second page of the document, it says, over the past 300 years or so, Western culture has been deeply shaped by trends in thought and social life uh, that have their roots in what could be called expressive individualism. We no longer see ourselves as embedded in the cosmic structure of being created and ordered by God, but we live in a world disenchanted understanding ourselves primarily as individuals free to construct our own selves and pathways in life. We also tend to assume that we have evolved without any particular design or purpose behind the process of biological evolution. Rather than fitting into a given order, we are therefore free to remake and define nature and ourselves simply as we choose. Now, David, if I can just pick up on that particular point to, to start with. Now, look, uh, to what to what extent uh, do you think that um, you know that the document is correct when it says that individualism and evolutionary thought is the root of much uh, of many contemporary dilemmas? Look, I think this is spot on, Gary, and I think it's well put. Um, uh, because we can think that we can – every every human being has freedom of choice and freedom yeah, yeah, of, yeah, of thought yeah. and, and speech, etc. But to think that we um, can disassociate, disconnect ourselves from history and chart our own course on, on various philosophical and biological and theological type issues – um, I mean, if you disregard that history, if you don't take that on board and, and what's gone in the past, well, what are you setting up for the future? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it certainly is something that uh, the individualistic mindset, as you know, as I understand it, has certainly impacted so many different areas of our life, and it's not just this area of sexuality that's actually impacted. It's not, and and it's it's about me, isn't it? It's about me and how I feel and what I want and what I believe, and yeah. truth is relative to what I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about you, David, but one of the things I've found in ministry is that uh, I have, I, I suppose. 
suppose, uh, uh, struggled on many, many occasions because I've certainly come across people who they're not in gay relationships, but they're simply able to go into extramarital relationships. And I'm thinking of people in that type of a, a format uh, at this at this point in time. But so often when I sit down and I might share, I might talk to them, you know, you get responses like, you know, this is my right. These are the things that I can, you know, I mean, I'm an individual. I can pretty much choose what my, I like. Choice. But the reality is, however, what, I, what I'm so conscious of and which so many are willing to overlook is that the hurt and the pain that comes to children and family as the result of an individual's decision uh, is, actually, is actually something. It distresses me. And, and that can play out, Gary, can't it, for, for decades and even generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- and, yeah, look, look. I this, this whole concept of I'll do it because it feels right, I'll do it because I want. Yeah. Um, and with disregard for others is a very, as you're saying, very individualistic society. And so we've lost that social cohesion. We've lost uh, or losing that sense of community and also – with that of what is right and wrong, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- because what is absolute? Yeah. Truth cannot be absolute. And and if if Eve ate the fruit in the tree, and and obviously clearly also did Adam, yeah, they they ate the fruit. She ate it because it was attractive and it, yeah, it yeah, looked yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. It felt good. Yep. You know, some it was an impulse. It was that an she individualistic thing, exactly. Separate from the the larger context of, if you like, the community. Even at that time, it was very small community. Yes. Uh, at that point, that's when she gets into trouble. So, if we we allow this to play out in other facets of life, uh, yeah. the way I drive my vehicle, yeah. Um, there's going to be chaos. Yeah, yeah. If the way we have schooling, you know, uh, etc., these sorts of things, if we allow that same um, focus of, okay, if it feels right to me, I'll, I'll sleep with other women or be in a, a, a polygamous relationship or whatever it may be, there it will, if we had that same attitude to other facets of life, um, we're already seeing issues uh, with morality. Yeah. But imagine if, if that same attitude's played out everywhere, where does society head? And, and clearly it is playing out in other factors and yeah. other areas of it, life. It's this individualistic thing that I, but look, let me just go on. Just, just one very quick question. The meaning of Christian marriage is, uh, is something that is uh, certainly defined in this particular document. As Anglicans, we give our assent to the, to the faith uniquely revealed in the scriptures. Uh, Jesus, quoting the book of Genesis, traced the roots of marriage to the beginning. That is, before God's people Israel were formed, before the law arrived, and even before sin again, uh, sin came. It is in that context that we read that the joining of a man and a woman is a gift given together with the gift of humanity itself. In other words, they are arguing, and I believe in this case totally correctly, that marriage in Christian thought actually originates with the book of Genesis, and it's quoted by Jesus as proof of the fact. Would that be your understanding? Yeah, absolutely. And and this article talks about how in the book of Genesis, how God created humanity in two distinct forms, male with different anatomies. Not only that, um, uh, in the Genesis account, it says sexual difference is part of creation, not the fall. And so we relate to God and each other in these two forms as male and female. So, uh, yeah, there are a number of good things in this that, that I think as a, a Bible 
a biblical worldview, upholding the Bible as the authority for us yeah. to live by, um, it reaffirms some of these key tenets of Scripture. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the family, the, the family itself undergirds humanity, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting, David. This is actually one document that we could spend an entire uh, an entire program uh, discussing. Uh, not everything in it, I would certainly certainly agree with. And uh, in fact, I think any almost anybody who, who reads it will some they'll find something that they don't mm. actually uh, appreciate uh, about it. Um, it. Uh, um, uh, I, I do appreciate just one or two of the comments that that are made, um, um, and uh, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's certainly worth a, a read, and I've got no doubt it's actually going to uh, um, uh, encourage debate at the Anglican conference that it's soon to occur over there in uh, in Great Britain. But look, so that, so, so yeah. Gary, just if readers want to go, and if our listeners want to go and. Um, Get access to that document. They would first look at the original document. Oh, look, look. Well, the way I picked it up was going to the Premier Christian News. It's called uh, World uh, Site. It's actually the uh, one of the the major religion news sites that's based in the UK, um, and uh, it is actually talking in its headlines about this particular document, and uh, it actually provides a link to the document. That's how I uh, I got it. So if people want to get it, that's that's where they can get it from. Uh, look, let's come to some music. Uh, this is faith first uh, where there is faith uh, please uh, please enjoy uh, the uh, the message is so incredibly powerful please enjoy
song where there is faith uh, what a hymn of uh, of praise that uh, that really is folks look if if you would like to make uh, make comment on something that we've we've spoken about feel free to use our our text number uh, and uh, that'll come through to our our studio here that number again is 0488 80811 We'd love to have any feedback, any comments uh, that you would like to uh, make. Now we also have today, using that number, we also have a giveaway book. Now, uh, of course, this week we're talking about the biblical worldview. Uh, today we're talking about uh, the, you know, can the Bible be trusted? Um, and uh, uh, as a result, we we want to provide you with a book that might help you. In your spiritual journey. Now, this particular book's entitled "How to Study Your Bible." Now, uh, is written by uh, by Peter uh, Peter Gregory, and it goes into how I can dig into uh, the Word to really get something out of it. David, what's your favourite way of studying the Bible? Yeah, I have a number of ways, Gary. But um, yeah, look, I, what I really love to do is um, compare. If you say if it's the Gospels, to really compare the various Gospels. Yeah. Um, typically, though, I'll read the passage first by itself, and yeah. then I'll, after a while, and contemplating it, 
and depends what I'm doing too. If I'm preparing a sermon, it's a different approach. But contemplating it, mulling over it, thinking about what's God trying to talk, tell me about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what am I being convicted of? Yeah. Often it will lead me into other places. I'll go searching. Oh, hang on, I've read that something similar elsewhere. Yeah. And then often I will look at um, some brief commentaries or Bible dictionaries on various things that I may not understand yeah, yeah, yeah. to gain insight. But um, it's a powerful book that uh, you don't reach the bottom of, do you? No, you don't. You don't. There is just so much in it, and you're able to keep uh, just learning and learning right through your entire life. Now, look, uh, our giveaway book is in, it goes into you know how I can study the Bible. It's by Peter Gregory. If you would like uh, this uh, this particular particular book, then please text us at number again is o four triple eight eight o eight eleven o four triple eight. 80811 and just put in there the code which for this week is SA100. Now don't put a gap between the SA and the 100, just five digits SA100 in a row and uh, that'll go through to our robot and uh, he does an excellent uh, job. Uh, he'll make contact with you, get some information off you uh, so that we can get this book to you in the fastest uh, possible way. How to Study Your Bible by Peter Gregory. The code is SA100 and that phone number is 488 Now you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. And today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. And David, of course, is the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in, uh, in South Oz. Now uh, this week we're asking how reasonable is a Biblical worldview. And today we just want to address that question. Can I trust the Bible? What does archaeology uh, say? Now, David, um, this is one of those issues that uh, to me I actually get quite so- excited about because there seems to be just so much evidence th- that is out there that links the Bible and Faith, And to me, one of the really exciting things is when evidence is able to link the scriptures with faith, then to me, I I say, hey, this is what people today respond to. And it hasn't always been the case, has it? Um, It's only really the last, what, 150, 200 or so years that... Uh, significant and continuous amounts of uh, archaeology have come forward to verify what has been in the biblical account for thousands of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David, look, I tell you, just give me your your um, uh, response to this one. I've actually just uh, picked up just today in one another one of the other news sites that I do uh, follow, and uh, this is just in the most recent biblical. Archaeological Review. Now, of course, the biblical bar is uh, is the abbreviation, Biblical Archaeology Review. This is the Journal of Archaeology. This is the respected scholarship journal. This is where uh, scholars will will put in the results of their their research. And uh, in today's uh, uh, t- today's um, news came out uh, this uh, this issue. King David's name has been uncovered in a two thousand nine hundred year old stone slab. Say scholars. Now, uh, this is actually David. Can you tell us why is that so important? Important. Yeah, look, Gary, one of the reasons is uh, David is mentioned, I think, uh, I've got it listed here somewhere, close on about a thousand times in both the Old and New Testaments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet up until 
findings just before this, yeah. but this one in particular, Gary, that you've come across today, uh, many people say, well, David and, and King David were just a myth. He was maybe yeah. a small chieftain or a nobody, if you like, but yeah. there is no evidence of uh, There is no secular evidence out there for the existence of this man, of King, David. King David. And yet in today, this is a, this um, a quarters biblical archaeological review uh, and it's being reported on a 2,900 year old basalt stone slab contains extra biblical reference to King David in support of him being an actual historical figure according to scholars writing in the latest edition of biblical archaeological review the research involved an examination of so called Misha Stele uh, or the Moabite stone which was discovered way back in 1868, uh, before it was uh, damaged in 1869, the slab was dated to the 9th century BC and chronicles the victories of King Misha of Moab and possibly references 2 Kings uh, chapter 3, uh, in which Moab goes to war against Israel and Judah. Scholars writing in the winter 2022 edition of the Biblical Archaeological Review say uh, new technology confirms that the Misha Stele indeed references the house of David. To me, hey, I look at this and I say, hey, here's more evidence that is coming up that is is providing evidence that backs up what the scriptures are actually saying. And this one's dated 2,900 years ago. You know, to me, I look at this and I say, you know, isn't, uh, isn't archaeology an absolutely uh, amazing tool for uh, us being able to dig more into and find evidence for the Word of God. But, David, uh, is there any other evidence out there? Yeah, so just on this one, Gary, um, yeah, um, 1,048, I think it is, occurrences of uh, the word David um, or David's line, if you like, in um, uh, in Scripture, both Old and New Testaments. And so this is a massive thing because, you know, you've got Abraham, David, Moses are probably the most repeated names in Scripture. And um, where many people that are atheists or secular suggest, look, this is this David was just a legend. Mm, mm. Uh, to actually have the name inscribed House of David yeah, yeah, and yeah. for that to be verified, basically, uh, you know, um, uh, disproves those alternate views that, yeah, you know, David yeah. was just a legend. And, and look, there are other people that have suggested in, in some of, I guess, my research that, that, um, that, that I've been reading that, you know, um, Jerusalem at that time was just, or under David's leadership or in that era was very small and, and all those sorts of things. This was a, a place that had, uh, and in Solomon's leadership as well, was a place that had a postal service. It was, it was actually a significant place. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. uh, this is just another evidence of... Um, it actually had uh, international import and export. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. So, again, another, another um, proof, if you like, yeah. of uh, biblical archaeology. So, so, Gary, um, looking at a few other different scenarios of archaeology and how it proves the Bible, um, there was a particular individual called Sir William Ramsey, mm. and um, he was an atheist and he was the son of atheists, and um, he thought that he would uh, spend his life to disprove the Bible. And obviously he lived in an era that was far more Christian than we, mm-hmm. we do now. He was very wealthy. He'd graduated from the University of Oxford. And like previous um, 
previous uh, archaeologist. He'd studied under a famous liberal German um, um, archaeologist, if you like. And so he went about um, uh, looking at uh, the New Testament documents, and he particularly was looking at Luke's writings. Now, you would know that uh, when we look at the book of Luke, the first four verses, uh, basically Luke is writing to a particular individual, Theophilus, and he talks about how he did his research. Mm -hmm. And so Luke was a very careful, we would call, biblical historian. Yes, yes. But here is this guy, William Ramsey, who later became a sir, trying to disprove it. He gave his life to it. He set out to the Holy Land, and after 25 or more years, he'd released book after book. Um, and he was incredibly impressed by the accuracy of Luke in his writings, finally declaring that Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy. Um, he, he was saying this guy is unsurpassed in respect of trustworthiness. Mm, mm. This is what he wrote. Um, and his accuracy um, is demonstrated by the fact that he names key historical figures in the correct time sequence as well as correct titles to government officials um, and all of the various regions and people he mentions, etc. And in one of, his, um, one of his books, he shocked the entire intellectual world by declaring himself to be a Christian. Wow. And other archaeologists that set out to disprove the Scriptures or they're atheists, others have had the same fate. And I mean yeah. that in a positive sense. Yeah. They've become Christian. And um, it's very interesting um, as we look at some of Luke's writings and what archaeology has confirmed. For instance, Gary, um, in Luke chapter 3, verse 1, uh, this is Luke's announcement of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, Luke mentions Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene. Now, scholars uh, question Luke's credibility since the only Lysanias known for centuries was a ruler of Chalcis who ruled from 40 to 36 BC. So mm -hmm. they questioned what the Bible said in Luke yeah, yeah, 3 yeah, verse 1. Yeah. However, an inscription dating to be in the, in the, in the time of Tiberius who ruled from 14 to 37 AD was found recording a temple dedication which names Lysanias as the Tetrarch of Abil, Abila. Wow. So exactly the same thing, uh, a place near Damascus, which matches Luke's account very well. Um, in Luke uh, chapter 18, verse 12 to 17, Paul is brought before Gallio, the proconsul of Archaea. And uh, archaeology has confirmed that at Delphi, an inscription of a letter from Emperor Claudius was discovered. And in that letter from Emperor Claudius, um, it is to Lucinius Junius Gallio, my friend, the proconsul of Achaia. Mm. So what the Bible says, what Luke's research when he wrote the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts, what Luke wrote has actually been confirmed through archaeology. Mm. Uh, again, just another example. Um, and, of course, you've actually got to be there in order to get this sort of information because unlike our day when, hey, you go onto the internet, you go onto the web and, uh, you know, you can just simply turn up and you can dig up virtually any fact uh, that you that you like from anywhere around the world. But, of course, if you weren't a local in the days of Christ, you didn't have access to this sort of information. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And, and that to me is something that I, I look at. I mean, one of the gospel that I actually appreciate the most when people say to me, hey, Pastor Gary, what, you know, should I read to come closer to Christ? One that I personally recommend is actually Luke's gospel uh, because I really appreciate the sheer uh, logic, the sheer, uh, the, the, the thorough research that he's put in. It's, it's in a way, uh, Matthew almost writes as, you know, as it comes into his mind, you know, he's more free. And, uh, He's almost like a preacher who is using um, preacher's license, we would call it. To, yeah, 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 that's right. Whereas somebody like Luke is a is one of those people that well, Luke appeals to me. I just I just love Luke's gospel because of the way that it is just it just comes out. It is a story that has been researched. It's almost as though it could be acted on the uh, acted it on the stage. And you know, I. Um, uh, I've, I've recommended to so many of people, I've said, hey, look, if you really want to come closer to Jesus Christ, if you really want to find out what the, uh, what really did happen, then Luke's gospel is the one that I would go to. And, and often I actually connect that as well to Luke's second book, which, of course, is the gospel of, well, I call it the gospel of Acts. Yeah, I can't absolutely. help myself because to me there's just so much good news. Uh, I know it's not a gospel, but I call it the gospel because there's just so much good news. It's the birth of the Christian it's church. It's the birth of it? the Christian church. And that was Luke's second book. Uh, that was part two of uh, Luke's gospel. And uh, I, as I look at that, I say, hey, uh, this is has been established by an historian and now you're telling us it's confirmed by archaeology. Let me give you one more, yeah, Gary, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Acts. Acts chapter 28, verse 7. And in Acts 28, verse 7, Luke, the author, um, gives Plubius, the chief man on the island of Malta, the title first man of the island. That's what Luke calls him. Yeah, yeah. Remember Paul gets shipwrecked? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he calls Publius the first man of the island. Scholars, scholars questioned this strange title and deemed it unhistorical. Well, guess what? Inscriptions have recently been discovered on the island that indeed gives Plubius the title of first man. Wow. So they've been found these inscriptions on the island of Malta. Uh, so the Bible, you know, written 2,000 years ago, the New Testament, uh, is being proven. And the longer archaeology goes on, I strongly believe, firmly believe, that it will continue to confirm and prove uh, scripture. These are, you know, David, these are only little things. But, you know, it's the little things that it's very difficult to fake. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, let's come to some music and uh, love this uh, this particular rendition. This is the Pillars of Faith uh, Choir, and it's actually a a song. It's entitled "Take Time, Take Time to Be Holy and Be Thou My Vision." Please, please enjoy uh, this beautiful, this incredible rendition of some of the great uh, great music of the church.
statement. Uh, now, folks, look, we do have that uh, that giveaway book uh, for this week uh, uh, once more. Uh, that book is uh, How to Study Your Bible. If you really want to dig into you know, the Bible and the Bible only, if you just want to discover how you can get more out of the Bible, then this is a book that can really help you. How to Study the Bible, it's by Peter Gregory. All you need to do is to text us 04888. 8081104888811 and just put in your text the code SA100. That's it and it'll go straight through to our robot and he will make contact with you and uh, get some information off you so that we can get this book to you uh, super fast. Uh, we really want to uh, uh, have this in your hands in the next uh, next couple of days. How to Study Your Bible by Peter Gregory, SA100, and text that to 488 And you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. And today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. And David is the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in uh, in South Oz. And today we're simply addressing that question, can I trust the Bible? What does archaeology say? Now, David, really appreciate all that you've been sharing uh, so far. You know, these are the, the little things which are so important in any historical document. You know, it's when people start to get these sorts of things wrong that you start to say, hey, look, you know, you know, can I trust the entire document? But once they've actually lived there, they've started to tell stories that are accurate, you can start to trust the other stories that are also told. That conf- yeah, the Bible written thousands of years ago is being continually confirmed by these finds. Gary, just just a few things. I mean, the quest for the historic Jesus. Um, uh, history records that Herod the Great was a Roman, uh, uh, the Roman appointed king over Judea from 36 BC through to his death in 4 AD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Bible reveals that Jesus was born um, during this period. Um, it, 
Archaeology has discovered that Herod had two main building projects, a summer palace on Masada and the Herodium, which was a colossal monument to his life and was to be his burial place. Um, archaeologists in these uh, various excavations have uncovered several artifacts that actually have his name inscribed on them, which, uh, with the dating of that, confirms what Scripture says about Herod the Great at the yeah, time of Jesus. Yeah. Just a few other little things, too. I mean, um, Caiaphas, he was the notorious... I mean, who names their son Caiaphas, right? Uh, he was the notorious... You don't hear too many on the yeah, list today, do you? Maybe there is, and if your name's Caiaphas, apologies. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, he was the notorious high priest who presided over the trial of Jesus, the kangaroo court, if you like, in yeah. John eighteen twenty four to 28. Um, Caiaphas was buried, um, and archaeologists have uh, uncovered evidence, uh, noting his name uh, and also his oshery, his, his funeral box, if you like, um, which was far more elaborately decorated with exquisite and ornate than would be for the average person. Again, Pontius Pilate, you know, the, the Roman governor um, who was put in charge of, of Judea uh, and who, was resp- who, I guess, gave the approval for Jesus' death. In 1961, a stone plaque was discovered in an excavation. It had the Latin inscription, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. So these are little things. But when you get hundreds and hundreds of little things together, as you're saying, it creates a far bigger picture and a bigger story. You know, Dave, one of the things I'd really appreciate, it's it's not just to me archaeology that does all this historical confirmation, but to me it's things like the historians themselves, you know, secular historians. You know, I'm so conscious that, you know, there are historians like, you know, uh, Tacitus. Now, Tacitus is a guy, he's, you know, he's anti-Christian big time. Uh, you have uh, Josephus. He's anti-Christian big time. Plenty. And, but these guys, they quote the same information that's given in the Bible. Uh, what the Bible says, secular um, historians are actually confirming, and we've still got their writings. Uh, you know, to me, uh, you know, I, I know there's a huge debate out there. You know, for example, did Jesus exist? Jesus exists in the secular writings as much as he does in the in the Gospels themselves. Yeah, the thinking person that really investigates really can't question that he existed as a human being in yeah. Palestine in the era that the Bible says he lived. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gary, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls are a big one, aren't they? they I are, guess we're they just going to touch real, on that. Please do. But uh, in 1947, uh, some shepherds stumbled upon a cave in a rugged, arid area on the western side of the Dead Sea, and they discovered uh, something that would change, I guess, 20th century archaeology. Uh, they looked through other remote caves, and essentially over 800 fragmentary documents, uh, 800 fragmentary documents, mainly consisted of Hebrew writings on leather, some were on parchment, were discovered, and um, these included 190 uh, fra- uh, fragments from biblical scrolls. Uh, most of these were small, and perhaps uh, only uh, a tenth uh. of one of the biblical books of the Old Testament. However, they also discovered a complete scroll of the book of Isaiah. Yeah. Now, this is pretty amazing, right? Because it was discovered in 1947. Yeah. We've had the Old Testament for hundreds of years, yes, right? Yes, yes, A- And um, so when they had this almost complete, or in fact, sorry, it was a complete Isaiah scroll, um, basically it matches up with only very minimal differences 
between the Old Testament texts of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the various editions of the Hebrew texts um, produced a thousand years later. Mm. So, you know, these Dead Sea Scrolls were were buried at a time when uh, the Romans were, were around. They were put in these caves. Yeah. Uh, the Old Testament scriptures were, were were copied on and passed on through history and tradition, yeah. and they're the ones that we've had printed in our Bibles. But yeah. the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls with the scroll of Isaiah is almost word for word yeah. exactly the same, even though it's thousands of years later. Yeah, and, and the discovery of those scrolls was actually incredibly important because to that time, the latest scrolls that we had uh, date to, uh, I think, about a thousand or so years ago from, from now. But what this did was push the earliest scrolls that we actually had access to uh, back uh, to more than uh, about 2,200 or so, so years. And, and you look at that and you say, hey, here is scrolls that have been unearthed by archaeologists. They're not biblical archaeologists necessarily. Many of them are secular archaeologists who are simply there to understand the history. They unearth the scrolls and what do we find? We find an entire Isaiah scroll. Uh, To me, that is this is powerful stuff, uh, David, because it means that uh, this is something that hasn't been invented, uh, certainly in any recent times. No. And Gary, just a touch on another one. Um, in 2021, uh, a journal, uh, a paper in a peer-reviewed journal called Nature Scientific Reports, and it is peer-reviewed, uh, believe that uh, with strong evidence they have located the place of the ancient cities of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And, you know, in the biblical account in Genesis, yeah. uh, these cities were destroyed by fire and brimstone. Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt because of the wickedness of these cities. And um, in this 2021 paper, and you can look at it online, um, Dr. Stephen Collins, um, basically he was doing his research. He looked at what the Bible said. He thought where a location could be. And they uncovered um, a five-foot layer of soot randomly scattered throughout this this vast area. There was no evidence and there's no records of volcanic eruptions or fire or earthquake that could have produced mm-hmm. what they came across. Um, one simple example, they had charred bones that they came across that had been burnt by like fire and um, he found one piece of pottery and uh, he's a seasoned ceramic typologist, one piece of pottery which he dated to 1700 BC mm. and... Um, he discovered that half of this pottery um, basically um, was uh, basically had gone a strange glassy green color, a glaze, mm. and only half of it. And basically, he said that um, that technology wouldn't be invented for twenty-four centuries later. Than uh-huh. 1700 BC, and um, it was taken to Mexico into labs there, and they discovered that there must have been a very short, intense period of absolute incredible heat to have done this. Mm. And um, basically, they also found a 700-year gap as they excavated the various uh, the mound, etc., going through layer of civilization. 700-year gap in um, civilization. They were saying, why would not uh, another uh, city have existed why did it have to wait 700 years because it was a prominent location and uh, essentially um, they have likened the event 
to something that happened in Siberia in 1908 with a cosmic airburst. And in 1908, there was this uh, uh, sort of um, asteroid sort of meteorite that came and basically exploded um, a couple of kilometres above Earth. And um, basically, it was about 50 foot in diameter. Sorry, 180 foot, about 50 metres in, di- um, in diameter. And it 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 basically destroyed 80 million trees. This is in 1908. They're saying the intensity of that event, which was a 1,000 Hiroshima bombs in in equal to, Mm. that this must have been something very similar to what happened in Sodom. And so this is in a peer review article uh, in a journal, uh, I guess proving, if you like, that ancient Sodom that the Bible talked about being destroyed by fire, ash layers, everything. Yeah. Pottery confirming. We yeah. can trust the scripture. Yeah. And this is why today, David, I really appreciate that passage in Second Timothy. Paul, it's his last book of the Bible. He's writing to, the, to, to Timothy and he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. He's saying there's something special about this book. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped to every good work. You know, there's something special about the Word of God. And the thing that I love about history and archaeology is that it backs up what the Bible claims about itself. There's something precious about this book, Gary, isn't it? It's been preserved throughout history and always will. Why? Because... This is a living book. Yeah. God wants people to come to a relationship, a friendship with him and experience eternal life with him. Love it. Love it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you now. Lord, I want to say thank you for giving us the the gospel. Thank you for giving us the scriptures. Uh, Lord, thank you for preserving it. Uh, Lord, thank you for so much evidence that backs it up. Uh, Lord, I just pray uh, that it might become more real in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much uh, for uh, for joining uh, Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan are going to be asking, to what extent did Jesus and the apostles actually trust the Scriptures? Really look forward to your joining us again. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give, isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you.